dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello and welcome to Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs, a podcast about dystopian society in TV, film and literature. I'm Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm an educator and writer. Hello, I'm Marcia Yaklova, um, my pronouns are they, them, uh, and I'm a student at Sheffield University. And uh, this is week two, episode two, and we're going to be talking about Fight Club. Okay, so I guess that Fight Club doesn't necessarily spring into everybody's minds mm. when we're talking about dystopia. Mm. Um, but I think we agreed that this fits actually very well into the kind of genre, depending on how yes. you're you're viewing it. Um, so we'll be focusing on the film because we think mm. that's kind of the thing that's had the real kind of public attention and perhaps mm-hmm. has kind of a legacy into yes, um, uh, time now. Um, no, no, but what would you say to somebody who hasn't uh, seen it, bearing in mind we're going to have spoilers right through this, yes. uh, but what is it about, Marsha? Okay, I mean, if you haven't seen it, please go watch this movie because <laughs> it was the first time I watched it and, like, it, this, it was this whole entire section of pop culture I'd never understood before, these little internet jokes that I'd never understood just suddenly opened up into my into my, into my view and I, I completely understood everything, so I'd definitely say go and watch it. But... Um, in the description of Brad Pitt that I saw in this interview, he kind of describes it as um, the story of two men who like basically start this underground kind of boxing club um, uh, for kind of like troubled youth and well, men of all ages and things and from all backgrounds. And um, uh, and it's the story of, of them and kind of how this like, you know, how their kind of agenda um, of you know exploring their masculinity and also how the modern world affects their lives and um you, you know and and their experiences kind of unfolds uh very good mm. and yes and it has this commentary on you know um masculinity and gender roles and also uh talks hugely about the effects of capitalism um which i say you know having been released in 99 um, it kind of focuses more on, we're saying, uh, on a, the kind of more spir- spiritual side of the effects of capitalism, how it kind of affects our gods, how they, de- they describe it. Um, you know, how you don't want to be attached to your worldly objects. And mm. um, the, the the main one of the main characters, Tyler Durden, you know, uh, spoilers obviously ahead, <laughs> uh, you know, blows up the narrator's, um, you know, condo and all of his all of his things and all of his furniture that he, you know, worked hard for, held, held close to his heart. Um, and like, you know, as his kind of accomplishments, um, you know, and he detached himself from that, um, we could say, but it, you know, and it's kind of, you know, how it affects, you know, people's um, live, well, livelihoods, but also just general happiness and stuff in, in mm-hmm. that sense, which I think, you know, there's like definitely relevant there's relevant things to how we perceive capitalism now, but I think the more current conversation around capitalism is the way it affects the environment and, you know, like more kind of like things like that, I'd say. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We were sort of saying before this that there are so many of the themes that still feel as, if not more, relevant, the way yes. in which those yes, are kind yeah. of encountered perhaps in 2023 mm-hmm. um, are, are different. Um, but insofar as we view this as um, a 
both a satire but to you know remembering that it has something uh, serious to say or at least to perhaps critique or make the audience mm. think about um those things you know are, are there because it's a great film but they're also there because um uh, these are problems with um 20th and 21st century culture um with which we're still wrestling um so you mentioned um the sort of aspect of the I suppose the, the change in the character of the narrator, um, yes. the, the blowing up of the condo being the sort of precipitatory point. Mm -hmm. But of course, mm. it's not really the way the narrative works. So I just wondered if we should start by thinking about how the um, film actually opens. So uh, yes. this this opening uh, scene, which really, I suppose, embodies the crisis that the film overall is going to address so it starts at the end mm -hmm. and it starts oh, with yes. uh the narrator with a gun in his mouth mm -hmm. and the threat of something terrible about to happen yes. um so it's uh you know, yes and it, i think there's a very interesting thing here where you you know you see this very shocking image of this of you know the narrator with a, a gun in his mouth and he goes you know even despite all this intense kind of things happening around him, he thinks, I can't help but question what, how clean the barrel of this gun is, despite all of, you know, his counterpart, Tyler's kind of, you know, actions around him and his this craziness and kind of uh, things. And I was like, wow, what an interesting observation <laughs> to make in such a situation. It really just kind of reflects almost like his mentality. Mm. You know, I think they talk a lot about how, um, you know, there's, a, there's this other character called Marla who like has almost a suicide attempt, I think. And, you know, they kind of, they go on about this, how there, there's this narrative of like death and kind of almost accepting mm. death throughout the movie. It's kind of threaded into it. Um, and, and it really just kind of shows his almost like nonchalance when it comes to the situation. He's just, he's almost like, he's already kind of accepted, like this is, you know, things are going to, about to go down. And he's just like, you know what, like, forget this like how clean is this is the barrel yeah right that's really interesting and i suppose that what we've what we're really asking with the this this theme of which you know i think we see the trajectory of it through the film where we have this mm. theme of of confronting death accepting death as a mm. necessary um prerequisite to being able to live that's yes, something that tyler yes. goes on about a lot yeah and on the one hand i think you're right there's that sort of um almost that that has been fulfilled but mm. i would also say the thing about the uh the, you know the cleanliness of the the barrel of the gun that's much more like um the narrator before he met tyler so in yes. a way it prefig prefigures what we'll see at yes. the very end of the film which is the rejection um and uh obliteration of tyler uh from mm. the situation so i wonder if that tension's being introduced from the beginning yes because yes. i guess we, we we start off with this idea around um um the issues that the narrator faces in his life the things that he lacks the things he feels he needs and this you know this really pathetic kind of loser of a character in many ways um and one of the things we really want to think about is you know how much does 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 he change and how much is he worse or better than tyler the opposite to him um in the in the show so 
what I was thinking about was really, you know, we've talked about that idea that we've got this crisis moment um, and we've got a structure that starts with the end and therefore the crisis kind of present from the start. Uh, but also the idea that this crisis is somehow embedded around um, ideas of masculinity um, comes in, I think, at that that very start moment um, that, that comes in from the first scene. Um, so that was a, something that we wanted to talk about quite a bit. Um, I just wondered, how do you feel this film is presenting masculinity would you say well you know we talk about how it's a bit of a satire and that mm. I th for me i think it, well i was giggling throughout the whole <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's it, it is it's funny like it's like it's mm. meant to be this it's meant to be very hyper masculine obviously and very you know obviously it kind of goes into this sort of like you know violence and this kind of like empowerment through sexuality with this like character more like you know the objectification of like women things and kind of like the you know so tyler dead and his um kind of the narrator's projection of what he imagines is you know this proper man like how you'd want to look mm -hmm. how you'd want to behave etc um and and yeah so it, it kind of i think yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, but I think it, it, I, I I thought it was I, I thought it was very clearly a satire. But as we kind <laughs> I mean, of know, <laughs> it's uh, for 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 young impressionable men. They kind of take it at like kind of you know face value and say this is this is mm. the this is the ideal male kind of you know yeah. character. Absolutely. And I was I was reading about the way in which in many ways for the film, this um, the kind of lack of conversation that perhaps happened among many viewers. So it was seen as one thing um, perhaps was impacted on by uh, the way in which the film was advertised with a lot of emphasis mm. on the violence. So people who like mm. films with you know lots of male violence in yes. them went to see it. Um, women yes. included, uh, yeah. but uh, nonetheless, you know, who, who appreciate that kind of thing. And it was given a miss by those who felt they didn't like that sort of thing. Yes. Um, I thought this was a great irony, actually, because, of course, right. one of the uh, points that we'll come back to is this idea of kind of consumerism and advertising and the yes. way that it, it affects your life. And that seems to be kind of played out on a real life level here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me as well, it it's it's a funny film uh, it's a shocking you know film and things like that but but i do think that it's it's you know very dark comedy in its way huge um, yeah of course yeah and it, 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 the darkness of that for me kind of um comes out with the the first kind of attempt that the narrator makes to try and i suppose find something in his life going back to what you were saying about the kind of you know the spiritual elements of this um yeah. So, you know, he's obviously lacking in his his work, in his life, which he doesn't, you know, seem to have any relationship, those kinds yes. of things. But what he seeks is um an answer when he mm -hmm. uh, goes along to the support group for testicular cancer. Yes. Um so that seems to me to be kind of the first um, place in which uh, these ideas around kind of um masculinity and um suffering in a in a very literal yes. way um are um 
presented. Um, yes, so yes, yes, yes. what do you think about the kind of the testicular cancer support group? <laughs> <laughs> um, classic. Um, well, obviously, the, the, the character's initial problems come from his insomnia. Mm. Insomnia, there we go. Um, and he goes to his doctor and he says, I'm having these issues, I can't get to sleep. And he's kind of this, like, almost like, you know, this zombie kind of walking around, it's mm. like living dead, sort of, mm. you know, almost mm. kind of person. Um, and this doctor says, oh, you haven't really seen, well, he's like, he's, you know, the narrator says, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. You can prescribe me something, the doctor's like, you haven't seen a real pain until you've been to like, you know, the, the these cancer groups and all these various um, groups and stuff, of, you know, these people who are, who are dying. And so the narrator decides, okay, all right, I'm gonna go investigate. And he attends one of these groups and he finds the first time he's able to get a good night of sleep after, after basically going here and pretending to have testicular cancer around all these, all these men and um who you know so these are this these men with testicular cancer are kind of portrayed as like emasculated and especially uh the character called bob um had like what he's i think he had like hormone issues or like hormone mm -hmm. therapy um and he used to be i think he's mentioned his job used to be this like bodybuilder yeah. and he was on steroids and things like that which is a very kind of masculine job um uh and now he's he's like kind of grown these breasts from the estrogen levels um, and the impact of that. And he's kind of, you know, and, and all these men are like hugging each other and crying, which is again, a kind of a stereotypically non-masculine sort of thing mm. to do. And it's, yeah. yeah. Which is such an interesting contrast, because on the one hand, there's this sort of uh, strong sense that the thing that is, is feared uh, by these men is, their loss of masculinity there's a sort of you know sort of saying yes. we are still men is kind of this big mm. tagline for them um but also that there's this kind of way of dealing with that loss um and the narrator says you know that they've lost a chance to have children and they've lost marriages and uh, uh you know some of them have gone bankrupt and and so on uh, all of this loss is actually yeah it's met with this um ability within this space to show emotion so on the one hand mm -hmm. there's kind of a, a a stereotype of um masculinity uh associated with i guess having testicles um mm. whereas the other side of it is like that the response to that almost kind of affirms within the stereotype the idea that they yes. are less masculine um, yeah and it's interesting to see what like the the movie begins defining like being a man is is like mm. what having the testicles having like testosterone yeah. coming through your yeah brain. exactly like, what? yeah what's yeah. that mean and it's it really comes back to that like I, you know, we used to do these like gender study kind of like mm. um sessions together it's like again like from like it's, it's switching that and sort of thinking a woman like what defines a woman is is like you know often said to be like oh well you have like a womb and, and mm. sort of things like that. I mean, I mean oh, there's so many things like different avenues we could go down mm. in this conversation, but it's really interesting that now that's kind of like, cause you know, there's other things that you you say defines a man is like his career and like, mm. you know, is, I don't know, is like, like bank balance, which I, again, is also something that they talk about in the movie, like yeah. what defines a man, but mm. they, they reject kind of those things as, as important. I don't know. Very yeah, interesting. you're absolutely right. And I'm sure we'll touch on this later on when we talk yes. more about that kind of um, uh, critique of consumerist capitalism. But mm. you are absolutely right that we've got on the one hand, this sort of what we would um, perhaps refer to as this kind of toxic masculinity, 
um, that's based around one, I guess, view of, of toxic masculinity, which is that it's uh, about um, aggression and dominance and um, the suspension of vulnerable emotion and uh, perhaps uh, the uh, resorting to violence and so on. But yes, you're quite right. There is another side of uh, toxic masculinity that is around, you know, driving fast cars and uh, having flash suits and, um, and, you know, doing, doing, certain types of jobs and that um yeah as you say is in a way uh, rejected um but yeah i'm sure that we'll come back to that but it, it's interesting that those tensions are there throughout the film i think but but right there from the start um and the very fact that the narrator uses these spaces which itself i think makes us uncomfortable because of course he is a, a tourist he is a, a liar mm. he doesn't have um cancer yes. Um, and he becomes a groupie who goes to a different support group every night of the week. Um, but somehow it fills some gap for him. So however perverse his way of showing emotion is, the fact that he can has found a space to cry and it is basically curing him would uh -huh. suggest that there is something potentially positive within that, even if it's not very positive to... to Yes, and um, use other people's pain. I think one question that I had is, what is originally causing his insomnia? Like you mm. starts off with this issue, but what is the root of what causes? Is it his job? Is it his, mm. like the expectations of him? Like what? What? I don't know. I don't think that's. You're right because we like, we hear more about the manifestations of his insomnia. The fact that it's when he's not sleeping that he can essentially do all the things that Tyler is shown to do. Um, but we don't, yeah, it's almost like the premise is already accepting, and this is again where we come back to this idea of perhaps dystopia, that this is a world in which there exists a crisis that is stopping a man like the narrator from being able to sleep, to live happily in yes. the world. Um, I wanted to pick up on one thing you said, which was this um, this kind of idea around um, bodies, because I think that that's a really interesting aspect of, um, because given that we have this idea of gender um, as something that we perform and uh, to another extent present, um, and a lot of this is about how do you perform masculinity to its um, utmost, it surprises me that there's really quite a lot that centers around um, the body so you know mm. whether it's uh, the references to to bob's tits and the fact that you mm. know uh, the narrator is sort of snuggling into them and, yes. and and so on and the contrast with the bodybuilder's body previously especially somebody yeah. who'd use steroids to kind of bulk up their muscle yeah um but there's also a lot of um like male bodies being harmed and destroyed actually as well so both by the cancer uh but also like later on uh we have um lots of scenes of destruction and death um like with yes. the narrator's work yeah, for yeah. example um yes. with the, yeah, with the yeah. burned out car um oh yeah and... even one of yeah even like one of his kind of lackeys or whatever or like mm. one of the, the troops is like i think mm. there's one one of the the like uh men is like blonde and he goes oh mm. I, I wanted to destroy something beautiful beautiful that's like... right yeah so that's like yes, the culmination of that in a way yes. yeah so again you know on the one hand there's there are a lot of things that perhaps are, you know we might think are typical of ideal masculinity um but also a certain degree of rejecting those in favor of of other 
of other things, even though there is still, I think, an implied critique of um, Bob, or at least there's an implied critique until Bob gives up the support group and starts going to Fight yes, Club um, fight instead yes. later on. Um, I suppose, you know, again, this is, it's difficult because we've said there's so much to talk about here. Um, but would this would be perhaps a good time to think about what the causes of emasculation as it's perceived in um, the film, what are they, do we think? We mentioned the idea that it's bound up in consumerism um, which we can explore more. Um, but it's also, for me, it picks up on some ideas around, um, uh, the sorts of, the sorts of things that you hear from men's rights movements, um, you know, um, kind of anti-feminist movements as well about, yeah. you know, how women have had a negative effect on men. Um, so there's a reference to um the effect of of mothers um mm. and and that you know getting a wife is not going to solve your problems because you've already had too much female influence but that in turn is is linked with a a, a strong critique of fathers mm -hmm. um so how important do we think this idea around absent fathers is <laughs> the classic like mummy issues daddy well, issues well exactly <laughs> yeah because it comes up a few times <laughs> um gosh i don't know um well you know there's always that classic thing of like oh you know a child needs a strong father figure mm. or you know, a son needs a strong father figure in his life whatever 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 um i just you know well, of course in a movie like this would be it definitely be kind of mentioned or like a theme within the show i think both the both you know even though Tyler and the narrator are the same person, which is interesting that they have, you know, like, the narrators kind of come up this separate narrative for Tyler, yeah. even yeah. though they're the same, that, like, in in Tyler's case, um, you know, his father was around and he was the person kind of commanding him to do certain mm. things, to live his life a certain way, up and, you know, up until marriage. Um, mm. And whilst, like, for the narrator, his father wasn't present whatsoever, and I, I don't think, yeah, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say that that's really interesting because it's like the narrator says that his his problems, his, you know, failure to to mm. be the ideal man stem from his father not being there. Yes. But then he invents a father who is there, is there. who causes a whole well, different set yes. of problems, but ultimately leaves us in the same place um yes. so again it's kind of like a is that a critique of um blaming absent fathers and blaming present mothers so it's actually saying to us you know this is this is nonsense essentially it doesn't matter which mm. way you spin it it's not the uh it's not the cause of of the perceived problems that these men have yes yeah i mean it's also quite interesting in terms of like the femininity and masculinity sort of things um yeah, I feel like Tyler's general kind of look is like, especially towards the end of the movie, does become mm. quite flamboyant and very yeah. kind of. I don't know. She says a bit queer looking, like mm. in. It, it, I mean, he's wearing what like kind of a weird like fur jacket, and he always yeah. wears these very brightly coloured t-shirts, and it's it's very like. You know, it's, and at it's the end, fun. he's in that almost kind of cropped tank top. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. again, you know, so this what? is this is. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's you know, 
not what we would necessarily expect. No, um, but I, there's, yeah, I, I mean, but it's also, there is a certain masculinity about it in a sense, it's kind of very like 70s kind of rock mm. star, very, well, well, you know, uh, sure. you know, depending yeah. on what he's, well, you know, depending on what he's wearing, but it's, it, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I feel like I could still view that as um, masculine, even though, you know, mm. it's, you know, the kind of bright colours that he wears, and I think he wears these, like, rings and jewelry i actually can't remember yeah yeah no you're absolutely right um you know yeah would be classically feminine but he i don't know it's it's interesting it's interesting i think that yeah you raised something really interesting that we've not yet touched on which is kind of the um the hyperbolic heterosexuality but also i think the fact that that too is essentially um made ambiguous um mm. which for me adds to the kind of uh the complex satire that we've got here because on yes. the one hand we've got you know uh tyler and marla having like really noisy sex um you know, really kind of over the top sort of uh, expression of heterosexuality or whatever and you've got the narrator complaining about it but also saying oh, i could have moved bedrooms but i yes. didn't mm-hmm. uh, you know he's kind of a uh, obviously he and tyler are one and the same but uh in our perspective at that point in the film he's oh. sort of you know a gratuitous sort of um experience that he's he's getting out of this um yes. but then there's also um for me a, a homoerotic overtone yeah. to yes. the relationship that tyler yeah. and the narrator have it's kind of this thing of like oh you know how they say like politically you can go so so left you go right or you go so mm-hmm. right that you go left it's almost yeah it's that kind of horseshoe thing of like how masculine can you can you go before it kind of becomes like oh is there some sort of like homoerotic thing going exactly on yeah like, and there are for me some explicit moments i mean there's the bit where um when uh, again going back to this theme of kind of uh the body but uh, when Tyler pours um, uh, chemicals onto um, uh, the narrator's hand. Then we get that idea of um, uh, a kind of perverse closeness between them. So um, first Tyler kisses the hand, then he burns it, then he continues to hold it. um, And it's been pointed out that we've got a very sort of um, typical phallic image in the gun at the very beginning yeah. and the very end. The idea ah, of the gun in the yeah. mouth yeah. is itself a homoerotic symbol at a point at which, you know, it's the critical point really for the relationship between uh, those two characters of the narrator and Tyler. So I think that, you know, you're right. It's it's a, it's a sort of bromance slash romance kind of <laughs> sort of distinction, but there's also, yeah, there's a hint that, you know, once you start uh, alienating women, um, what are the relationships that exist between men? And for me, one of them is that that queering of the relationship um, yes, between yeah. the two I mean, of them. The the author, I believe, of the book uh, himself is is queer. Um, oh gosh, I'm going to absolutely picture this. Chuck uh, uh, Palahniuk, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and 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 again, he, you know, as the he he wrote the novel originally um and it, it's interesting that uh again kind of going back to the fact that it's definitely a satire that mm. like, like as, as a gay man well I don't, obviously you know queer people can also be like hyper masculine hyper feminine you know it, it like it's a whole entire range it's all a spectrum so i'm i'm not exactly sure how chuck presents himself out there mm. in the world but um you know 
it's I don't know it kind of goes back to that and it, I think there's there I definitely think there is that kind of homoerotic subtext to it and like that's mm. might be his like commentary of like his experience as a gay man out there I don't know I'm not sure I think that's really an interesting perspective mm. um and we raised the idea that you know this is um a podcast hosted by two people who do not necessarily <laughs> identify as men and therefore mm. um we bring perhaps a different lens um, to this. And it left me asking questions about what would be, you know, if you wrote Fight Club with two female or non-binary protagonists, how would would it it affect it? Well, also, would it still be the same concept of Fight Club? Exactly. Obviously, this kind of violence is often a very, like, characteristically, like, male sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it becomes this, you know, it's... it's, um, uh, well, I suppose it, it's like testicular cancer support group, which is rather <laughs> undermined when Marla turns up. Uh, <laughs> That's who, a real of good course, line about that, you know, yeah. <laughs> there is, uh, we wouldn't want to judge um, her uh, uh, genitalia based on her gender presentation, but we are led to believe yes. um, that I mean, uh, she does not bit, have yeah. balls. <laughs> That's. <laughs> a bit when she's literally like no no because basically the narrator you know confronts her and says stop going to my support but yeah the narrator uses these support groups starts going all these different support groups you know as a tourist basically using them to like as a a kind of like salvation to his insomnia Mm. which helps him go to sleep and you know this this woman marla shows up and they both clock on they're doing the exact same thing and, and she says to him oh they they split up these different groups during the week and they say you can have you know the the parasites I can have the yeah. brain cancer whatever um, and she's like and then they go oh what about the testicular cancer and she's like well I seem to have more of a right to be there than you because obviously the narrator does not have testicular cancer that I just thought it was. so like it's those kind of lines that like crack me up but yeah absolutely yeah too. and again it's that dark humor isn't it yes. divvying up your your support groups um, yes 100%. Uh, absolutely um. So that kind of leads us on from the way in which kind of the support groups are replaced by the um, the creation of uh, Fight Club. And one of the things that I think is helpful to consider is the way in which we get this sort of trajectory from um, meeting Tyler uh-huh. on a plane through to how they come to um, create Fight Club together, just before we get into the kind of the symbolism um, of fight club itself um so i mean what did you think of tyler when you first see the character in the play well very i mean brad pitt you know <laughs> good looking love good looking yeah fella. um you know charismatic they have this kind of the the narrator and uh tyler kind of this bit of a banter kind of going on and mm. um you know they all, it, I don't know, it all seems very quite like natural and, you know, he, you, you're automatically thinking, oh, this is kind of like one, one of these, you know, one of these, you know, kind of characters that gets through life very mm. kind of, you know, smart about it. And kind of, I don't exactly. Know. So the contrast yeah. with the picture that we've had built up of the narrator, and I'm sure that yes. that's, you know, obviously kind of what it's supposed to do. Um, because the narrator has this obsession with uh, planes crashing and uh, his, his uh, you know, desire to die in these various different ways um but uh tyler has this sort of other view which is you know well 
the reason that they give you oxygen mm. is because uh, pure oxygen gets you high, and so you're basically yeah. high when you're going down in your in your plane yes. crash. Um, and yeah. he kind of use, uses the little cards as as proof. He's like, look at all oh these gosh, characters, yeah. and they're clearly <laughs> all high. Um, oh my gosh! Someone recently told me, do not do not quote me on this, but someone recently told me that the kind of brace position that you're like, where, I think where your hands mm. are in your neck, mm. uh, which you were told to go into, is actually again. Less, I must do my research on this, so you know I may be spreading false information. But I was told I was told actually kills you quicker, like when there's. I've an heard that as well. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. it's meant to be if you're if you've got a less chance of like lower chance of survival, then you're less likely to sue. The oh, to gosh, just, I hadn't thought of it from that very, more cynical position. Well, I don't, yes. I, yeah, I don't know, uh, but yes, I have yeah. heard similar things. Disclaimer, um, disclaimer. Yeah. It's, it's kind of along the same lines of life. It is, absolutely. You know, of, it's take it, taking that kind yeah. of view. And if, in, if it is indeed, you know, some conspiracy theory that we have just propagated further, yes. don't blame <laughs> us, but we're simply acting in the vein of Tyler who is yes. sort of doing something very similar. Um, yes, and, you know, again, kind of taking that attitude to crashing and death but mm. taking it off in this more kind of extreme empowered direction uh that uh, that the narrator obviously wants mm. to do but but isn't able to um so obviously it's subsequent to that that uh the narrator's condo explodes mm. um and one of the things that i think that that moment shows us is the fact that one of the things that uh he lacks and indeed a lot of uh, the men seem to lack a lot of people generally um not just men but uh, is is somebody to to call a friend essentially um he has two numbers that he calls from the payphone one of them is marla who he mm -hmm. uh, essentially has said if he had a tumor he would name it after her so <laughs> you know you would think uh, that this is not an obvious person to call regardless of what happens later in the story um and then when he hangs up on her the other person that he calls is Tyler, who he happens to have a business card for his soap business uh, yes. in his pocket. Uh, and even though, uh, you know, he has this view that basically you get like single service friends on a plane, just like yes. you get uh, single yeah. service cutlery yes. and things like yes. that. Um, so it's like he can he can engage people only for that short space of time, which reflects mm. I would say one of you know the great problems around um ideas around kind of um uh problems that men in a world that pressurizes them with these toxic masculine ideas yeah. face you know who are the yes. what is the nature of friendship um and yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know who um can you turn to turn to yeah, in times yeah. of need uh, was a statistic yeah. about um how six in t yeah. six in ten young men in britain had said that they felt pressured to man up um yes. and just over half of young people saying that a man would feel less masculine if he cried in front of other people um yeah. and there was um another note about you know young men saying that uh four in ten young men saying they're grappling with mental health issues but half being unable or reluctant to ask for help yes. and those statistics come from my oppenheim's um pocket guide to the patriarchy mm -hmm. but it felt to me to be a reflection therefore of a, of a real world problem the narrator yeah, is in a yeah. position where he needs to ask for help and yeah. whoever his circle of acquaintances, colleagues, whatever are, uh, he can't ask them, even up to the point that Tyler challenges and says, you know, yeah. just ask, yeah. just ask. And, and this is also reflected in uh, when he goes to be support groups and Marla turns up and mm. he says how suddenly he can't seem to get to sleep, he can't cry anymore. Mm. He, he 
begs her not to show up anymore to say, you know, I need this, I need this, I, yeah. like, I can't like, cry when you're here. And, you know. Yeah, like he can't be himself yes, and yes. Show, show emotion. He has to be a performed yeah, yeah, character. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, and it's, I think it's also further reflected in the, in the fact that, in, like, his, in his kind of, like, lack of friendships when Tyler disappears mm. and he says, mm. you know, this house is suddenly like living and breathing with all these people like huffing puffing mm. the same air, all these men. And he still says he feels alone. Yes. Um, like even surrounded by all these people who are like following him and following his every order, he mm. still feels lonely, which is really interesting. Um, um, and that again is this this development that, that goes from the first fight, the one where uh, Tyler um, asks to be hit through to the formation of Fight Club in a more formal way through to the creation essentially of a paramilitary unit. So we've got all these men coming together seeking this shared thing. Um, but then it seems to me that this is where the rules of Fight Club really become important. So one of the famous things that, you know, we all know the first rule of Fight Club don't mm -hmm. talk yeah. about Fight Club. <laughs> the second rule of Fight Club, do not talk about Fight Club. Um, <laughs> but I think that those two sort of first two rules, again, okay, they're the same thing, but they sort of say two things to me. I mean, one is this idea that the consequence is that the same secrecy exists, um, although it stops being so true over time, uh, you're not allowed to acknowledge other people who you've met in mm. Fight Club. And it's the, so, it's the kind of, sorry, it's just the, no. like visual kind of um, thing of like the, the bruising on these people's faces yeah. is their way of saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a member of this club. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a member, like you can mm. see it on their faces. And then, you know, then there's this kind of like, especially at the narrator's place of work, there's this mm. um, kind of narrative of, um, of like, you know, whether this is appropriate, turning out to work, looking like this, and how he feels comfortable, whether he feels comfortable, uncomfortable. I think mm -hmm. some of the like funniest moments are his interactions with his boss, um, especially wants to talk about um, the scene where he comes into his boss's um, uh, office and says, demands he gets paid a paycheck, and then his boss will never see him again, and he can. He basically threatens. Well, this is kind of going into the now like capitalist. Come back to it, and, but yeah. we'll come back to it. Mm -hmm. But I just I thought it was very interesting. Oh, just I think that some of the best some of the best bits are in his work environment. I I agree with you. And again, there is that progress, isn't there, from kind of the acknowledgement of other people who've been beaten up through to the kind of way in which his character changes within. The workplace um so that trajectory is uh, a really important one um so, but yeah i think it brings us back to the idea that there is this is this idea of kind of a, a a place that supposedly you know makes you feel more alive than uh you know you'd, you'd ever feel you know a different person in fight club from outside of fight club but almost like it has to be safeguarded by that rule that you mustn't yeah. um mustn't actually form friendship yes it's, exist only in this dark space where you fight and nothing else and then i think that the second half of it almost like the second rule of fight club even though it's the same uh denotes the the connotation that there is implicitly something wrong with mm -hmm. fight club you don't talk about it because it has to remain a secret things are you know kept yes. secret because Project you're Mayhem trying and stuff exactly well, yeah. and that really develops so for me again it, like fight club becomes this space where it's perceived that the um 
men are forming relationships and dealing with something that they they need to deal with but actually it's completely sort of shallow and lacks any mm. of that depth just like Tyler's previous sorry the narrator's previous relationships did yes um before Fight Club existed and as you mentioned like when it becomes a paramilitary kind of unit we have the same thing the aloneness within um a house even though the narrator and Tyler have all the power um none of the soldiers have names we're told um yeah. and so they don't exist really as people they're essentially yes. um up until know. the point obviously where so the the character bob you know passes away well passes mm-hmm. away he dies tragically mm-hmm. in a shooting um and he's a uh, he becomes a kind of martyr in the eyes of yeah the eyes of this kind of army that, that has been built and only then uh, does he gain his name back um, yeah absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. That felt to me like you know the narrator is actually trying to sort of say this guy was my friend. He's a man. He, he has a name, uh, but he really just becomes a slogan. He doesn't actually yes. become restored to being a um, a human being. Yeah. Really, and I definitely think there's towards the end of the movie, like the narrator kind of gains, gains this desperation of like trying to you know kind of stop Tyler in his tracks mm. about what he's he's about to do, the crimes he's about to commit, and and things. Um, and he, you know, he runs around all over America trying to, like, you know, find Tyler, finding out, you know, eventually that it's revealed in the movie that he is his counterpart. Um, they are the same person. But, um, yeah, and, and he goes to the police station to try and stop people. Mm. And even there, there are these men who, who, who are basically part of this Project Mayhem. Where So the, the, the listeners who haven't seen the movie... Um, Project Mayhem is it was they, they want to uh, blow up all of these banks. I, I, I believe. Yeah, so. that's eventually where we're led to. Although before yes. that, you know, it sort of again it evolves out of Fight Club, doesn't it? Because they get, start getting set homeworks by Tyler yes. apparently, <laughs> like to start a fight with a stranger <laughs> and lose it. And then when they start Project Mayhem, it seems to be. Uh, you know about causing chaos for chaos sake you know some of its pranks um, and some of its vandalism public damage a lot of it is um, again we're going through to Mm. to get a conversation (laughs) in a minute but um, yeah a lot of it is like for example like destroying corporate arts and destroying Mm -hmm. these like chain kind of you know coffee shops and like these like apple computers and tvs and Mm. And yeah. like these kind of big franchises, which is again less kind of commentary. Like, and and a lot of the time, even though it is this kind of like vandalism and practical like jokes and stuff, like it, it they like I think it's it's very, made very clear that they're not hurting anyone and, and that no one no one's mentioned to have died except from Bob in the kind of yeah you know, their own sort of soldiers in the course of this action. Mm. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is probably, you know, a great time to move on to that idea of of capitalism and consumerism, Mm. because, as you said, the ultimate sort of point that we're told is that they are going to, um, well, where the movie starts and where it ends is the the bombing of of credit card companies, banks, Mm. Um, uh, the idea of the destruction of the records of of, um, debt. Yes, um, and everyone going back to zero. Going back to zero. Now, this is something that gets talked about in other kind of, um, dystopian um, films, this idea of kind of, you know, attacking a financial structure that's built on debt um, with the outcome that on the one hand, you know, you reduce debt to nothing, start everybody again. But also, of course, what it causes is complete and utter chaos because the entire system 
is built not only on personal debt, but on corporate debt, national debt, and so on. So all financial relations basically fall apart and you, you end up in a complete chaos, um, which you might think is you know completely justified, or you might think is not the right way to go about it. But it's like the, the target of their um, agenda has been to attack um, corporations and you say corporate symbols um, and that's still part of what they're doing in this big you know final act as it were um, but it's is it about causing chaos as in project mayhem uh, or is it actually about achieving a goal and that I suppose is one of these kind of you know critiques of of this this violent action is it really true that you don't harm anybody if what you're doing is, you know, making sure there's nobody in the building, fine. Um, but that's a very simplistic, perhaps, definition of harm. Yes. Um, so, again, it, you know, it raises the question, are they actually trying to achieve anything? Or is this all about uh, anti-consumerism yes. and ultimately about nihilism and, um, you know, really about rendering things into a kind of an anarchic chaos, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard, like, you know, I think there's a lot, there is talk about this film, but to even like start going fully into like the nihilism mm. kind of topic of it mm. is, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I think there is, I, I, there's this obviously thing that Tyler says, you know, he, he says, oh, there's no people in the building and, mm. and the narrator goes, oh, but Bob, Bob died. And he's like, well, mm. you've got, to make an omelette, you've got to crack a few eggs, kind of this rhetoric that he has. Um, which is interesting and kind of, you know, I think it's like, again, for the face of progress, you know, that mm. some people must be sacrificed or like, you know, I don't know, which is... Yeah, I and I, yeah. It, it raises something that we were talking about in our episode on The Last of Us, you know, what is um, uh, the difference between kind of um, terrorism and freedom fighting, for example? Can there be um, a non-violent revolution um and so on i think the question i have is that i don't see that really what these men are trying to do has much to do with um actually achieving a revolution it seems more mm. to be reacting against something that they perceive to kind of have happened to them mm. um i know that there's the uh, there's a, this great speech um that uh tyler gives which on the one hand sounds like it's like really kind of sincere and meaningful and on the other hand it's a uh, like just a parody yeah it's <laughs> right between kind of sincerity and parody i suppose yes uh, but this is the bit where he says i see in fight club the strongest and smartest men who've ever lived there's all this potential that we're squandering um and uh then he talks about the idea of you know um uh, we have no purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression yeah. is our lives. And this is before he gets on onto the bit about, you know, you're not your job. Uh, you're not how much money you have in the bank and so on, which gets uh, repeated. But he has this idea that I suppose all like masculinity can only be created in the face of crisis and until they recognize or indeed create that crisis, then they can't become kind of themselves. They can't fulfill their potential, um, which I find really interesting. What we find in the contrast to that, they take us back to this kind of idea of consumerism that we've, um, we've been talking about a little here, um, is um, this sort of idea about um, 
the way in which I guess a capitalist, consumerist, um, advertising filled uh, society um, removes people's ability to essentially to to think for themselves they're turned into um, mm. a product of the system and that's yes. what the rejection is of although I don't think that it necessarily see it as a, as a wholly positive rejection it's kind of a critique mm. of both ends of this um, yeah. Starting off with a brilliant bit with the narrator's Ikea habit, where he's yes. picturing his whole uh, condo in terms of the Ikea catalogue. Yes, and he says yes. that that's replaced porn for him <laughs> and so on. Um, so, you know, that feels to me like, you know, it works as a beautiful um, uh, mm. sort of image of that. And it's also the thing that he starts listing when he's telling Tyler about all the things he's lost yes. in his condo. And, and uh, you know, the things that he values and like, uh, mm. you know, like, you know, all he, he really works for is to be able to buy. Mm the next bit of furniture for his for his condo really yeah um, it says something it, about you know, what what dining set will define me as a person you know, <laughs> that, yeah um, um yeah, and yeah. you know so he's at one extreme and then we've got tyler at the other extreme basically saying you know that things you own end up owning you um we're consumers we're byproducts of a lifestyle obsession and he leads on to sort of saying fuck martha stewart and we're just polishing the brass knobs on the Titanic, a beautiful <laughs> image of, of, um, uh, of aesthetic <laughs> over um, uh, crisis. Um, yes. So, you know, that seemed to me to be on one level, obviously the kind of change yeah. we see, and of course the house that they end up living in, which is basically yes, just like a the, derelict squat. Yeah, absolute um, opposite of, uh, of yeah. the previous um, house, yes. Um, but it too is, is is depicted negatively mm -hmm. so it's not like condo bad house good <laughs> it's like condo bad house bad you know these two sort of extremes yeah. um seem to be uh... oh this poor guy simply can't win <laughs> no exactly exactly yeah yeah um, um. and it, i think it is worth just just talking here a little bit of one thing that really struck me because i know it's something that i've also um read about in um uh in stuff about justice i think michael sandell writes about this idea in his book justice um but this is the cost benefit analysis um for people's lives in mm. the job that um the narrator yes. does yes, um, yes, yes. which i think is you know really vital to kind of situating him and what he reacts against because he is mm. in a way at this worst kind of end of um, the idea of profit making in companies. Yeah, so only... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is how this is how companies how works, um, of run. Yeah. yeah. Now it's this profit. may be an extreme example, but um, the idea that when you're assessing whether to recall a vehicle because there's something wrong with it that causes accidents that kill people in really gruesome and gory ways, it has to be said. That's you know covered. Um, it's the um, number of vehicles in the field times the probable rate of failure times yes. the average out of court settlement cost and if the total of that uh, comes in at less than the cost of recall they don't recall it so it's basically putting a price on um people's lives knowing there is something wrong with your vehicle but mad. knowing absolutely mad uh, how um, to act over it yeah i mean I, in a, it, yeah it's the fact that this does happen is, is, is yeah you know absolutely so you know what yeah. where can you do a cost benefit analysis and actually mm. um 
when does it cease to be moral? Can you do this yeah. about people's lives? Can you put a cost yes, on that? Exactly. Um, well, apparently, mm-hmm. according to the movie, you, well, you can. Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well. And, you know, again, this has to happen with kind of compensation payouts. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that kind of idea of kind of the cost of a life that must be in the background of sort of this almost rejection of life having kind of that sort of value. Um, there's a bit where when they're on the plane, um, uh, the narrator comments that uh, life insurance insurance pays out triple if you die on a business trip, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of epitomises this this idea that uh, he there's a there's a, a possible price that could be put on his life. Even though, yes. as far as we can see, there's absolutely nobody in his life to benefit from that payout. Yes, exactly. Um, so it brings together the kind of like the nihilism um, and the eventual rejection of of. Um, uh, the fear of death, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. uh, but within the context that that we're supposed to assume yeah. that life has a has a, a monetary value yes. to it. Yes, and, and going a bit back to what I was saying before is so he uses the the this kind of fact about the the cost of a recall and mm-hmm. you know how the his com- this car company the company that he works for you know kind of operates. Uh, he uses it for his advantage when he goes to his boss and says. Yeah. pay me this amount of money and I won't come into work, you won't have to see me. Mm. Um, and he basically threatens his boss by revealing this information mm. um, out to the public. And, uh, and he, you know, it, it, he kind of uses this to his advantage. And um, initially, you know, his boss refuses, saying, how dare you get out? And uh, and this is the first time where you kind of see the, again, the, this is where, that becomes a bit bit of the big bit of the movie of like how uh, the the narrator beats himself up mm. to fr- kind of frame his boss as this like abusive kind of um, you know abusive figure um, and you know it works in his favor he gets this payout and everything but this is you know first of all it's kind of foreshadowing towards foreshadowing towards mm-hmm. the fact that Tyler Durden doesn't exist and all this fighting like you know the narrator has been you know um actually in, in fact hurting himself this whole entire time mm-hmm. um but yeah it, i mean it, it's it's interesting so how this kind of situation that the, where the company's trying to make a profit and trying to like exceed as much spending as possible it flips on them obviously in the favor mm-hmm. of the narrator and not for the general people who are you know uh, consumers yeah, of, from yeah company, absolutely but. i mean what interests me about it is that that in itself does a couple of things because on the one hand it's sort of you know it picks up this message that tyler has you know about the fact that all of these kind of um white male white collar kind of middle of everything workers um are just cogs in the wheel exploited by their companies made to do these immoral things in the name of kind of company profits it sort of supports that but what's the narrator does with his um payout in his words is basically to provide corporate sponsorship for fight club which mm-hmm. even though you know it's not the same thing but it one of the things that for me shows the way in which they never get out of those patterns because once the paramilitary um setup is uh, is in full swing um i can't see how the men there especially given the um, first rule of Project Mayhem is to ask no questions, how are they any different from the workers within the narrator's previous employment? Are they actually discernibly freer in any way? Of course not. I don't think this is kind of what the narrative must be talking about, is that 
you know, they've they've gone from being indoctrinated by their jobs and their mm. careers and the people that they work for and the companies that they, you know, you know, work for to just being indoctrinated by this like vision of this yeah. this man or Tyler Durden and the narrator and Absolutely, and, yeah. And it's just again they're kind of like they're not free, they're just again cogs mm. in someone else's kind of overall agenda. Um yeah. whether that might be a profit incentive or well I guess maybe, you know, getting rid of all debt is, you know, benefiting benefiting mm. some people is it in various ways. But, um, you know, it's it's not again, it's what what really are they contributing to mm. I don't know. Well, absolutely. I suppose, again, it's this thing about reacting from outside the system um, to enact change, um, yes. which, you know, many people say is the only way that it can be done, I'm sure. But here we're sort of seeing a kind of worst case scenario of how that potentially could could play out, because we might have problems with the world we're being presented with uh in fight club which is obviously very similar to our own reality um a dark lens on our own reality um but personally i wouldn't want um a bunch of vigilante white men following a, a charismatic leader with some sort of serious split personality issue I don't want them enforcing change in society either. That mm. seems to me to be, you know, extremely problematic. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, I do think that there's a rejection of structures. Even Tyler talks about the rejection of God, you know, saying that God is just another absent father figure. Um, and he sort of says, you know, fuck redemption, fuck damnation. There is no... Um, uh, this is a God who hates his sons um, and abandoned them. So that's sort of almost rejecting a model, just one model, obviously, but of of, um, of morality in favour of just um, self. And there is language about speaking in tongues and salvation that makes Fight Club actually into a church as well. The church, I guess, of Tyler, really, mm. um, worshipping him. Um, so... I know that there are things that we have not talked about, but we have, I think, kind of encompassed quite a lot of our, um, yes. our themes, at least. Is there Indeed. anything that we've not talked about that we need to cover before we get on to kind of the overall message of Fight Club? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think the only... Oh, gosh. Um, maybe I just want to say on the, like, single-use kind of friendship, the, the kind of this, ease, this kind of mm. bit about the single-use friendships and the single-use kind of, like, products on the... Or the planes and the mm. airlines that he's going on and kind of in the hotels he's staying is obviously also relevant to capitalism and i think that's yeah. more of the actual kind of impact of like you know products and you know wastage and you know like mm. kind of this accumulation of waste um that you know is from you know capitalism because it's just produce 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 yes. use, 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 and then at the end of the line where do these products really go straight in the bin straight into a landfill and stuff but you know yeah. like that's, and i guess you, yeah people become the same thing within yes. this context don't they? yes indeed indeed yeah. And what you've just said has reminded me of one thing we haven't talked about, which is uh, related to something that we've not touched on as much as perhaps we should have done, which is women and the presentation of, of women. We talk a lot about men. But yes. the link that I wanted to make to what you were just saying was um, the liposuction soap. <laughs> um, like, because yes. that, you know, that has this idea of kind of... Um, well, obviously it has the idea of kind of uh, potentially demeaning women in the way in which kind of um, 
women's bodies talked about in the in the um film but we've also got um the kind of capitalist element of essentially um selling rich women's body fat back to them in the form of soap Um, (laughs) and we've got that idea about kind of waste product but being turned into (laughs) turned into something else in a kind of horrible kind of um uh yeah parody of of Mm. um uh of a consumer product i suppose um i mean kind of i don't know is it kind of ethical i mean it's ethical in the sense of like no wastage but well exactly yeah i mean you know (laughs) it makes us sort of uncomfortable it's also you know it's a moment again of this very dark humor where they get the bag of fat stuck on the top of the barbed wire and it all starts dripping down on top of them and so you know yes it's another gross bodily kind of moment in the um uh in the film i think we should touch just because we haven't a little bit more on the portrayal of um marla in terms of how the men in the film treat her uh, at the end of the day helena bonham carter mm. plays the only woman character the only woman basically the only woman. you know in Mad. in the film um <laughs> and there is a difference i think between how the viewer sees her character and how the characters see Marla's character. Yeah. Um, yes. What do you think about what you know? How how we're invited to look at Marla? Well, obviously, like through the view of the characters, there's this kind of thing of um, you know, there's, there's lots of objectification going on with all mm. the classics. Um, but it's just like, for example, narrator sort of sees her as this woman who needs to be saved and needs to get yeah. this professional help, and you know, whilst um, gosh, how does like Tyler, you know? Well, Tyler think, obviously. Yeah sees her as somebody to to sleep with and i suppose yes. when tyler goes to um help her in her suicide attempt it's effectively the wrong sort of help you know we see this woman who is like overdosed on xanax and mm. essentially she's in a vulnerable position vulnerable and position, what ends yeah. up is that they end up you know sleeping together and so on mm. um i think there's a certain amount of portraying her as you know a hysterical woman she can't understand you know she's kept out of uh, everything that's going on and she's treated very badly yeah, by the narrator and Tyler obviously the narrator mm. claims not to realize that uh, you know that uh, it's him having this relationship yeah. um, and one of the ways I think that he feels emasculated is the idea that it's Tyler who's having sex with her and not mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. and uh, he is the was well, he's the neutral one who can come in and check her breast for tumors um, but you know, not in a not in a sexual way. So um, again, she's a sort of foil for for you know there must be a heterosexual love interest, but she's a woman, so we can't take her too seriously. And yeah. ultimately, the kind of you know the 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 good guy, as the narrator tries to be at the end, mm. is the one that tries to to save her. But he doesn't actually empower her. He doesn't tell her what's going on. No, um, not at all. He kind of just, you know, again, it's like, oh, just her to do something. I think, and it, I think it also comes back to this, like, one type thing of, like, oh, he's kind of this leader and you just expect. I think it. I think it's, it's interesting, like, you know, he's surrounded by these men that just take, you know, every order that he kind of gives mm. them and they are more whilst i feel like marla's character does slightly push back she is like mm-hmm. don't speak to me don't touch me. i can't do this anymore she has a, like even though she's the only woman in this in this show or in the show in this in this movie 
you know, I feel like she does have the slightest bit of autonomy in the fact that she she does try and refuse and be like, I can't do this anymore. Like I have, you know, I've reached my limit. You've pushed me about. I don't, you never explained to me what happened. Yeah. You never communicated with me, mm. you know, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, and that probably draws us really nicely, actually, to the very final scene of mm. the film because obviously there are two major things that happen there. One is the essentially the execution of of Tyler uh, when the narrator mm. seems to get rid of him by shooting himself not in the head, really, through the face. Yeah, I don't um, know how that worked. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yeah, where yeah. the bullet went for him to um, went that, through but... went through his cheek, I think. Yeah, but, um, oh, God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that obviously is a choice to sort of um, mm. recognise that Tyler is not any longer what he wants to be. And what he chooses in that final scene, obviously, we still see the kind of apocalyptic falling of skyscrapers in the background. But he is, mm. in fact, there holding Marla's hand and saying yes. hey, everything is going to be OK. So there's quite a sort yes. of better view of their relationship. Yeah, and, you know, and I think it does have sort of it does end on a high note. And obviously, when uh, um the song Where's My Mind by the Pixies chimes mm. in. Yeah, I literally jumped up like from my seat to turn up <laughs> on the TV. I was oh love what a tune, what a tune. But yeah, no, I think there is mm. this kind of like almost like melancholic kind of I mean it's very like, Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's that's a good word for it. Um, you know I don't feel that we're left with necessarily a sense that that either the narrator's original character or Tyler's kind of alter ego has won out really yeah um but uh but we've lost some of those extremes uh marla however should definitely get out of there not uh stick around in my opinion to pursue this relationship with the narrator it seems to me to be most unwise but um at least i suppose she is more enabled in making her own decisions by uh the end of the film which leads us beautifully into this kind of idea of what we've been talking about, our perspective on mm. the message of Fight Club and the kind of way in which it has been received by viewers and critics and scholars um, mm. since 1999. Um, and we talked about this a little bit early on um, in this recording, but I suppose it's worth noting that there are views that definitely um, don't correlate with perhaps the one that we've put across here. Mm. Um, that there's was a strong reaction that this was a film that promoted violence um, yes. and um, glorified kind of uh, male violence and misogyny as a part of that. Um, and particularly kind of this view took seriously something that I feel we've been hearing more and more of with the kind of Andrew Tates of this world, this idea that, you know, a feminized culture is emasculating um, men and uh, that uh, women are essentially um, the problem um, that uh, has has caused um, uh, men to, to lose what it means to be a man. Um, and so that was taken as kind of a, quite a mainstream view of this. Um, and of course, there's the kind of causal link that is constructed between consumerism and that emasculation as well. So the two things go um, hand in hand, but essentially taking these as kind of the serious messages of the film. Um, 
And then there's been obviously the views that sort of said, you know, that this this promotes anarchy or indeed promotes fascism uh, in the way that the kind of uh, Project Mayhem is perhaps uh, presented as well. Um, so shall we finish by kind of justifying the kind of view that we've put across, which is more that this is a sort of um, a critique of of um, yes. different portrayals of, of masculinity and particularly of this kind of masochistic violence that they mm. um, uh, put themselves through. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, well, uh, not to be like all kind of film and buff, but I, I, I enjoyed this movie and I do yeah. recommend you watch it. It definitely has had its cultural impact in almost, what, 25 years mm. now? Or, or what time? Um, but yeah, I think, I definitely think it's a must watch. And overall, God, it's really hard to encapsulate a movie in like three sentences, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I believe I, I don't know. I overall it's kind of the the commentary on how like you know, society's kind of dis you know, descent from like old patriarchal standards and mm. the like how capitalism is a thread through all of that and what kind of defines someone's, you know, like gender identity and kind of sexuality mm. and role in their own life and stuff. And um I don't know, it's I mean so much I think you, us. yeah, and I think you hit on something you know, that's that's really important there. That this is basically this is looking in terms of a critique, offering a lens mm. on that basically really does kind of make fun of, but with incredible subtlety, these extremes of um, you know failing and succeeding in being suitably masculine whilst also recognizing that everything about kind of who we are as a product of our, our culture and that change even if the change that Tyler represents is not positive uh, is something that we can only bring about when we do react against the um, structure that um, I suppose helps dictate what is the right way to present what is the right way to use your money live your life and so on uh, whether that's in terms of um of gender or in fact many other things as well well it merely remains to thank you for joining us for this episode of dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs we hope that you'll join us next time when we'll be talking about the tv show years and years dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs is produced in association with being Society. Being Society is a political philosophy project providing resources particularly for students and young people in the UK. You can find out more about both the podcast and the project at beingsociety.com where you can also find links to our social media handles. We'd love to hear from you. Please be in touch. Hope to see you in a couple of weeks time for years and years.